you guys doing today? Good morning. Good to see you at Grace Church. We're talking about worship today, okay? My wife, three years ago, she came to me and said, you guys need to do a series on worship. She didn't know what she's asking me, okay? So, you know, she said that three years ago. I said, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll put it in the list, you know, somewhere. And six months go by, hey, about that work? Yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm working on it, you know? A year goes by, two years go by, three years go by. She's hounding me nonstop. Here's the issue, okay? And I'll just be honest with you. There are a few topics that challenge me more theologically than anything else like worship. When you want to talk about worship, you say, okay, well, here's what the Bible says, and here's what the and then this, and then, oh my goodness. Worship is one of the most deep and intricate and complex topics we could possibly talk about. And I'll be honest, I've been running from it for three years. I don't want to get up here and look like an idiot, okay? Well, you know, the Bible says about mm, worship. So we've been trying to avoid it for a while, but it's time to tackle the monster, okay? Uh, let me just warn you, this is a topic where we are prone to rabbit trails. Do we all know what those are? I give you permission. If you hear me going on rabbit trails, you can say, rabbit, <laughs> permission granted, Okay. I will try my best every single Sunday, and of course, um, with everyone else we have up here, we're going to try our best to hone on to very specific points each week, because if not, you're not going to get anything. You're just going to get lost every single Sunday, and so will I, and so let's not do that. (laughs) Let's hope that there's enough grace in this room to avoid that. All right. What is worship? No one wants to take that for me, huh? I have a story for you. Okay. So we played hooky last Sunday. Who else played hooky last Sunday? Everybody. I heard. Everybody played hooky last Sunday, right? Like 50 people at church. Okay. We were at, we were in Florida last week, and then on the way back, we decided to take a detour. We stopped in Atlanta to go to the aquarium. I heard it was the biggest in the country. I thought, you know what? The boys will love it. So last week at this time, we were walking around looking at fish. Pretty cool. So Liam... He's our youngest one, okay? He's almost two years old. He, he is a very full of energy, and he likes to just spit out whatever he feels at any time. And so while we're walking through this, this aquarium, there's a section where you walk through this tunnel, and it's just, you know, floor-to-ceiling glass. You guys have seen that, right, before in some kind of aquarium or a zoo or something like that. Floor-to-ceiling, you know, it's kind of rounded, and just all around you is water. And I was pretty impressed. They had these manta rays. I mean, 15-foot, 20-foot manta rays. They had these whale sharks. I mean, huge fish and some mammals. Anyone specific? Okay. Anyways, there's zoologists in here today. Okay. Anyways, so we're sitting there, and there's fish everywhere. And the whole time, here's Liam. Whoa! Cool! Wow! Whoa! <laughs> I mean, the entire time. And so... There was something about that that just kind of touched my heart. And I just sat there the whole time and just, I just kind of took him in as he took in everything else around us. It didn't matter if it was the, the, the ginormous whale shark or if it was the tiny little, you know, reef, whatever they're called. Okay, anyways, he was just completely floored by everything. He was taking all the sights and sounds, all the sensations. He was experiencing it and responding to it. This is a beautiful picture of what worship is. Uh, 
you could hear a hundred different definitions of worship, but we're going to use one of our own, okay? Will you allow me to use something I created? I'm going to take that as a yes. If you're taking notes, here's something to put down. Here is the, the definition of worship at Grace Church, okay? This is not Webster's. When we acknowledge or express the value of that which we encounter. I'll say it again. When we acknowledge or express the value of that which we encounter. I'll make it simple. Whoa! Wow! Whoa! Cool! Make sense? We take something in, whether it's a mental process or a sight or a sound or a feeling, whatever it is, we take something and we encounter something and we formulate it through ourselves and we respond to it in a way that expresses value. This has value. There you go. Does that make sense to you? One last time. When we acknowledge or express the value of that which we encounter. I want to be very specific. There are, there are two different states of worship. There is the noun, okay, to acknowledge. Okay, this is not an action. You're not doing something. This is taking place in you. So there is a state of worship where you are, you are encountering something and internally you are acknowledging. You are able to understand and grasp that this thing has value. And then there's the action, the verb. There is the expression of value. Oh, that's... Wow! It comes out. Makes sense? Okay, the action, the verb, alright? And understand that encounter is a very crucial word to our definition. Um, I, I want to be really really careful about this when I was doing my, my studies. I made sure to go through the Old Testament words that were used in the New Testament, the context of all it. I tried to go through the Webster's and of course the Oxford... Um, English dictionary. You guys love all that. Okay, the whole point is this. Encounter is crucial in worship. Meaning, we worship those things that we experience. And I know that experience is kind of a scary word in church because we've all experienced, I had to use it again, churches and situations where sensation was all that church was about. It was all about feelings. And there wasn't anything else to anchor it. So sometimes that's a scary word to talk about. But I'll just be flat out honest. There is no worship without experience. So take it as you would. Let's go ahead and see some examples of this in Scripture. Let's go to uh, Psalm 95, verse 1. It's slightly a long verse. We're going to go through all seven verses. Here's what it says. Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Alright, look there in verse 6. You see the word worship, correct? Yes. This word is theoria. Okay? Here's what this means. It means sight, spectacle, being aware of. Sight, 
spectacle. So you're, you're taking in spectacle. You are being aware of something that you are taking in. And, I, and here in this passage, understand that verses 1-4, through four, as it leads up to, to this use of the Word, there are various forms of worship. There's thanksgiving, uh, there's offering, and that it's all built around spectacle. Notice it's talking about the mountain peaks and the sea and just His majesty, His glory, how big He is. Again, understand that the Jews themselves were very aware of this experiential nature with God. Understand that um, some of the first things that we see about worship are, is the word called altar. We see that in all of these stories of the fathers of the faith, they would encounter God, whether it's an angel or a loud sound or a vision or you know, some creature with lots of eyes or a wheel and other wheels. They would encounter something Okay, they would take in the spectacle and they would respond to it. Worship. And what they would do is they would create these things called altars. They would take stones and they would mark the exact place where they had this encounter with this God. You cannot separate worship from encounter. That, that's the one thing I'm trying to hit on. Everyone agree? If not, we've got like six weeks of this. You'll agree eventually. You'll get it sometime, okay? All right, um, fast forward, Luke 4.4. 4. This is the context where um, Jesus has now uh, been sent to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit is now upon him. This is the first time where we see that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's been affirmed in who he is. This is where he comes out of the water with John the Baptist. The Spirit sets on him uh, like a dove, and then we hear this loud thundering voice from the, from the Father saying, this is my Son, in whom I love, and I'm well pleased. He's affirmed, and then he's sent out to the desert. Seems kind of weird to me. Oh, Son, I love you. Now go to the desert. Anyway, so he's out in the desert, and he is now with Satan. I'm talking real fast because we have so much to do. I really don't want to get stuck. Okay, I'm afraid of bunny trails today, so please forgive me for that. Here we go. Verse 4. Luke 4.4. 4. He's just been tempted. Uh, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Now, the understanding of the word used for worship in Psalms was this idea of splendor. You're taking something in and you're responding to it. You're being aware of how special, how much value something is. Now, the word being used here between Satan and the devil is very specific. The word in the Greek being used here, it, it, it means this, to pay homage, to show reverence, to kneel. This is the other side of the coin of worship. There is an aspect of this where we elevate something. There's an aspect where we see value, but there's a form of worship where we see the kind of value that tells us this is more than this. And in essence, this is a reverence form of worship where we would bow our knee to acknowledge the value of someone or something. And if you notice with Satan, almost every time that Satan seeks worship, this is the form of worship he wants. 
In every instance where he seeks worship from Jesus or from man, he seeks that everyone would bow in reverence to him. But I want you to understand something with Jesus. Jesus responds to him and says, no, there's only one person that we bow and we revere. But understand that when, what he seeks is much different. Let's go to John 4, verse 23. I told you we got some verses. If you, if you only knew the list of verses that I didn't put on here. Okay, so if you guys didn't know your Bible, hopefully you will after, after just today. John 4.23. The context is that the woman at the well, he is trying to explain to this woman who has only known God from a distance, okay? She, she was part of a ethnic group that had some claim to being a Jew, but was seen as a secondary citizen. She was not allowed to worship in the temple. So she, in essence, has a very disconnected understanding of who God was. And so here's Jesus. He's trying to make this clear to her. And so in the context of this whole conversation, here's something very interesting he tells her. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, let me make something very clear here, okay? We see that Satan is after worship. He's after reverence. But we serve a God who's after worshipers. Did you get that? He's not after what you have to offer. He is after what? You. Now, he makes clear the form of relationship. He makes clear the path to him, how this worship, how this relationship works. But understand there is a key difference between the worship that Satan seeks and the worship that Jesus seeks. He seeks you. You are the prize he is after. You are the goal he wants. You are the, you know, the treasure that he wants to store up in Himself, not anything you have to bring to Him. Do you see that? This is one of the fundamental shifts in worship that we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Is that the emphasis is placed on you. Not what you bring, not how you bring it on you. Now you say, well, well Devin, he, he said there what kind of worship he wants. He wants in spirit and in truth. Well, let's, let's make that clear. Understand that every time Jesus and the Apostle Paul speak about doing things by the Spirit, it is a counter-reference to doing things by the law. That makes sense? So, if to worship by the law was so concerned with how we come and what we do and what we bring, and it was a system of regulations, a system of bringing you to a point where you are good enough to bring your worship, then the Spirit is a system of grace. Let me simplify it. He desires worship where you come freely. Every time the Apostle Paul and Jesus speak, pay attention. The Spirit, when you see him say, by the Spirit, think by grace. Romans is a beautiful example of this where the Apostle Paul begins to break down what it means to operate and live by the Spirit of God. And this is something that Jesus is trying to reveal. To, to worship by the Spirit is to come to God through the Spirit of grace. We understand that all things through the Spirit 
the words that are used there in the Greek, they say the likened Spirit of Jesus. And so we come with Jesus. And that is what allows us to be worthy to be in His presence. Did you get that? That was good. It's not what you got in your pockets. It's not what you're wearing. It's, 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 it's not the, the great prayer you can pray. You get to come. He says, come to me because you are coming through my Son. That is what it means to worship through the Spirit. It's not about the trappings. It's not about the outside. It's not, what, it's, it's not about what man sees. And every time you see that, 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 the second phrase there, in truth, this is a word study you have to do in the Old Testament especially. In the Psalms, um, David used this, this passage a lot you know, to worship in, in truth. And what this means is, is simple. It's a picture of nakedness. Transparency. To worship in truth means to come as yourself, hiding nothing, faking nothing. It's the exact opposite of almost everything that we've all felt that God wanted from us. We had to worship this way, had to talk this way, had to do these things, had to be good enough. To worship in truth means to worship with transparency. Whatever is in here is exactly what He wants. Good, bad, and ugly. Did you get that part? That was good too. All right, we're doing good today. So we have a God who's after us. He's after worshipers, not after the worship. And the worship that He loves the most is when we understand the gift He's given us to come freely and we bring exactly what we have in truth. Full transparency. Okay, It's a beautiful thing. Alright, we still have some fun stuff to go through. First thing here. Um, when you study verses, especially in the Old Testament, understand that the Jews understood what it meant to worship God holistically. And that's just a fancy word for saying in everything. Okay? The Jews were famous for having these laws and regulations that were given by God. But you have to understand how they saw it. How they saw it was all these things that I do with my body, with the way I conduct myself, with the way I wash myself, with what I do with my resources, with my time, with the holy days. All of these things were seen as expressions of value. To them, it wasn't just a a system of laws. It was a system of worship. Okay, understand that the Jews understood that if I value something in my heart, it must be expressed in everything else in my life. Does that make sense? If I really value something here and here, it's going to show up here. Does that make sense? That is not lost in the transition from the Old Covenant to the New. Holistic worship, meaning worshiping God in everything that we have and are, is still the form of worship that we have to orient ourselves to. All right. So we covered what worship is, but now we have to understand this. Where do we worship? Is Sunday mornings and in the church building where we worship only? I'm sure everyone would say that. So, where do we worship? <laughs> I heard nothing but doobie doobie doobie. <laughs> That's what I heard. Okay. So if this isn't the only place we worship, where do we worship? In everything, right? Holistically. I, I know it's kind of a hippie word, right? Like, you know, holistic medicine. That's what you guys sell at your shop, right? Holistic incense and oil. Hmm. Not to mess with it. Okay. 
there are three primary places of worship. Okay, um, Obviously in the Old Testament we see this, this understanding of man coming to meet with God. And anywhere man would meet with God, that place was considered sacred, set apart, special. Okay, And so we see that wherever God would appear, they'd make an altar, they would say to everyone for, you know, for all of history, that place is, is sacred. We know that there was a, a sequence where God met with them in clouds and in fire and in bushes. He met with them on mountaintops. He met with them in tents called tabernacles and, and then eventually into this super uh, elaborate temple. But the whole idea was there were places to worship. Today, things are a little bit different. There are three primary places where man meets with God. Here's the first one. The first place that we worship God is personal. Meaning it's internal. It's all about you and God. Now, we have to be careful with this because you know personal worship is not the only form of worship, but it's where worship starts for us. Uh, let's go to Psalm 103.1. Psalm 103.1. Kristen, I'm going to rely on you because I didn't put this on my notes. Psalm 103.1. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. Alright, here you go. You guys ready? Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Now, the words used here, the Hebrew words used here for worship, I wanted to use this passage specifically. It's because this embodies that idea of holistic where to the Jews, the idea of having an internal self and then having a body, to them it was all together. As if your body was a spiritual thing. Okay, And so in essence, to a Jew, to, to worship God, it wasn't just like I worship with my mind and then I worship with my hands. To them, it was all spiritual. Whether it was thought, feeling, actions with your hands, with your with your money, it was all together spiritual. Let me tell you something. They were on to something. This idea of worshiping God with our innermost, with all that we are, is embodied in understanding what it means to worship God personally. There are three major arenas within ourselves that we worship. Here's the first one. We worship God personally through our mind, emotions, and senses. Often you'll see this, the language used in the Bible is heart, the word heart, to worship Him with your heart, which is just another way of saying with the culmination of your thoughts meeting your emotions. Uh, depending on the theology you might have, you can use the word soul there. To worship God with your soul, with everything in here is where I worship Him as I take Him in. The second way that we worship God personally is with our will and with our choices. That's kind of a big one, okay? But we'll keep moving on. Here's the third one. We, we worship Him personally through our resources and through our time. Speaking of time, I don't have a lot, so I'm going to keep on moving. Do you understand what this means to worship Him through your will and your choices? Understand that everything about the Old Testament law was built around people choosing to do it God's way in every situation. 
And so for us, it's the same challenge. This living by the Spirit means there's not this written code we have to follow. But it means we're also challenged to operate in grace in every single place. Goodness gracious, throw out some one-liners this morning, aren't I? But anyways, it's this understanding of carrying this love and relationship with God and pouring it into every other place we go. I take this freedom, this free love and exchange that I have with Jesus and it pours into my marriage, it pours into my parenting, it pours into my finances. This life of the Spirit is how I worship through my will and my choices in all areas of life. Let me just say this for you. This is the most valuable, most difficult form of worship for every person in this room. Your will is the most valuable commodity that you have second to time, or even first to time. Time in your will, your choices, what you will to do with what is in your hands. It's the biggest place of worship where most of us choose to worship God or we choose to idolize anything else in our lives. This is the battleground of worship for you. It's not hard to understand that He's worthy of things. It's hard to choose to put more value in Him than other things that we face. That's one of those rabbit trails, guys. Rabbit, anyone? So the first place that we worship is personal. It's all internal with us and with God. The second one is relational. We worship God in every single interaction with people that you possibly could have in your life. Every single moment you interact with another human being, it is a test for you to worship God. I don't even have close enough time to unpack this one. We've got plenty of weeks coming, okay? But just understand this. In every moment that you interact with another human being, it is a test for you to see the value of that person, to see Jesus, to see God in them, and for you to express their value. It's a challenge for you to love people in every single person you meet. The guy at the gas station, your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your enemy. Can you love them? That is worship, my friends. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Mark 12, chapter 12, verse 30. You know, the, the context is they asked Jesus, they said, you know, what, what is the greatest commandment? And obviously the whole point of it was to trap Jesus. They just wanted to get something out of him to where they could prove that he wasn't perfect, that he wasn't so great, that he's flawed and they have a right to take him. And so, in essence, they weren't just asking him about laws and, and you know, regulations. Remember, to the Jews, every law, everything they did was an expression of worship. So what, they're, what they were really saying also to this was they were saying, what does it really mean to worship God? What is the heart of it? And he summarized it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. There's no greater way to worship God, to show His value, than by, <laughs> by giving Him everything in you Everything that you have grasp on, whether it's your thought life, your emotions, your skills, your abilities, your time, to love Him with everything that you have, to express His worth through that, and to express His value in every single person that you meet. 
this is what worship means when it means to, to worship by the Spirit of God. To extend the same gift and grace and love that we receive to extend it to others. This is what it means in the new covenant to have a law of love. We have reached our tolerance for one Sunday. We have stuffed enough verses in, right? I mean, amen? You guys have no clue, man. I'm, I'm so excited just to unpack every one of these. Come on, guys. We could just open this one and look at I mean, look at that. You, you've seen the Russian toys with like the dolls, you know, they're wooden. You open one, you open it, and there's like a hundred inside one. <laughs> Worship. <laughs> you got me. You got me. M- mutual submission. Amen. That's what that is, right? Here's what it is, guys. You are constantly tempted. You are constantly bombarded with the importance and the value and the immediate need to focus and experience and encounter and take in other things. And it sounds so good and whatever, but there are you are flooded with encountering fear and doubt and worry and pride and selfishness and hurt and pain there there are all these other things that we take in all throughout our day and this is what makes worship so difficult the reason that this is not this natural thing that flows out of us if you could find a way throughout your day to keep your focus your senses to be engaged with jesus throughout your day it would be nothing but natural to extend this love and compassion and oh grace to everybody you meet how many of you guys had even a half an hour focus on the lord yesterday just a half an hour Eh, five or six an hour two hours and 40 minutes anybody oh spirit and truth everybody okay (laughs) a tenth of your day could you even give them a tenth of your day when we learn how to, how to be present with the Lord at all times, how to be focused on Him, to be taking Him in, that's when this natural process of extending Him to everyone else begins to take place. And I'm not telling you that you have to learn how to walk around with like your CD player on, with your worship music on. You know, you, like, you, you walk everywhere with your Bible, like, I'm taking in Jesus. It's not even, come on, that was funny, come on. It's not even about that. It's, it's just learning how to be so connected with the Lord and how to have your mind and your thoughts and your emotions constantly returning to Him. And it, it orients, it changes the way that we see and interact with everyone and everything. And Lordy, we've got so much more to teach on all that. So what takes place is this. We worship Him in three places. Internally, personally, relationally, through others. And thirdly, through our circumstances, through the things that we experience, highs and lows, when you have a good day, when you have a bad day, when you have your great day, when you get married, when you have a terrible day, when you know, you've lost a loved one, when you get fired from work. We, these are the sacred places that we meet with God every second of our lives. Every second of our lives, internally, through our, our, our thoughts and our emotions, we are constantly in a place where we can meet with Him or we cannot meet with Him. Every day when we encounter people in every place that we go, this is a chance to worship God 
or not to worship God. To encounter Him or not to encounter Him. In every circumstance in your week, the highs and lows, this is a chance to worship God or not to worship God. Make sense? Our ushers, if you guys can go ahead and bring up our elements. We're going to take communion today, okay? Let me explain something about this. It's called a sacrament. Sounds like that word sacred, right? Sacraments are nothing without faith. Let me just say that first of all. These things are nothing without just combining your faith in God to meet you there. But there are a few things where God has given us the ability to meet with Him. And in all the sacraments, every one of them involves other people. Whether it's baptism or foot washing, whether it's communion, He desires that these places, these sacred places, that we would worship Him by connecting internally, by encountering Him, by touching bread, by tasting it, by smelling the wine. No, it's not wine today. It's grape juice. Kidding. We can all stand. And also, by worshiping, as we take Him in through our senses, we encounter Him, we take these physical things that make sense and remind us of the invisible things. We take this juice that we can physically, tangibly smell and taste and touch, and it reminds us of His blood that we can't smell, taste, and touch. And I'm not sure if I want to. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We take this bread, and it reminds us of this new life purchased through His wounds. And we get to touch and taste and smell it because we can't touch His body yet. And it's all done in community with other people that we have to see. Please be careful how you touch. <laughs> no tasting. Come on, guys. Funny. Goodness. we got to loosen up a little bit. All right. <laughs> and sometimes we smell each other too. Okay. We encounter God in this beautiful sacraments of these places where we take all of the ways that we encounter Him personally, relationally, in circumstances, meaning we do sacraments on days that are good and days that are bad. In the middle of whatever you're going through, you make it a sacred place. Here's what I want you to get. This is powerful for one reason. Sacraments are only to remind you of how your life is to be. That with every person, with every feeling, with every moment, every thought, every high and low, it can be a place with Jesus. He is there.